Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. In a world filled with movies, comedies, dramas, thrillers, and action-packed adventures. Only one podcast dives deep into the magnificent titles found on HBO Max, and only one man can host such a show. Me! Listen up, muggles. Sorry, none of you are magic. By the way, hi, this is Matt Rogers, the host of the HBO Max Movie Club, and you can tell by my use of the word muggles that we have sort of a Harry Potter-themed episode today, a Harry Potter-thon. All these movies are streaming on the HBO Max streaming service, okay? So you can go ahead and just marathon them right now. In fact, if you want to do that, I'm going to sit here and wait Um, So you can go watch all eight of these beyond feature-length films. I mean, now when a movie is two hours and 45 minutes, I have to be honest with you, I'm not going. I'm going to let everyone in a little secret. Me and former guest of the show, Greta Teitelman, actually got in the car to go see the new James Bond movie, found out how long it was, and we turned around. And that's okay. And that's a choice that we made. And I will see it later in the comfort of my own home. And here's the thing. HBO Max provides you all that luxury. You can watch all eight of these long movies, but long but entertaining movies in the comfort of your own home. And they're actually not in theaters right now, so you don't have much of a choice otherwise. But that doesn't mean you can't pop the popcorn and watch Harry Potter and the dot, 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 fill in fun additional title here. Here's the deal. Um, It is a Harry Potter episode. And I didn't really have to think very hard about who I would have on today. And I have a lot to discuss with the guests because I actually just got back from Orlando, Florida, where I sort of got to go even deeper into the Potter of it all and do the immersive theme park experiences. So there's much to discuss. Many of you might know this, but I do have another podcast. It's called Lost Culturistas. I co-host it with my dear friend, Bowen Yang. And years ago, I believe one of the first episodes we ever did, we had our guest and we discussed Harry Potter exclusively back when that's when the podcast was. We would discuss one thing. And let me tell you, we went off about this film series, the book series, for about 90 minutes. The person that I have guesting with me today, she's the host of the Roast of Your 15-Year-Old Self podcast. She's a comedian. She has some shows coming up that she's going to tell you about. I am very honored to welcome, really, the know-how on all things Harry Potter. You're going to be blown away. Everyone, welcome Elise Morales! (laughs) 
Yes, yes, it's me, Gryffindor. Uh, <laughs> Gryffindor <laughs> identifying? Class Gryffindor identifying. Gryffindor identifying, 100%. So what's it, was it always like that? I always identified strongly as a Gryffindor. Okay. Um, and other people have tried to place me different places. Other people have said she's a Ravenclaw. Some people have even come to me and they said she's a Slytherin. Some people hear Fuck about... them. Don't come to me and say that I'm a Slytherin. Like, what are you trying to say? Well, at least know, at least like make sure that there's like a well-established relationship, like there's a trust there. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to help me when you say you're a Slytherin, like maybe I've like really slipped a little too far. Like maybe I need to check myself. Then sure, come yeah. to me as a friend and say it. But like <laughs> you're saying they're just other people, like randos coming in and saying right. you're a Slytherin. Fuck off. Like, oh, so you think I'm classist. You think, like, do you think I have a problem? <laughs> do you want to talk to me? The connotations of being a Slytherin in the year of our Lord 2021 are very dark, okay? And that is a damning label to call someone a Slytherin. I mean, 100%. And as I told you before we started recording, I did watch the first three films this weekend in because prep. I wanted to and also to prep for this podcast. And mm-hmm. the Slytherins are using slurs. They yeah. are using slurs. They're saying MB. <laughs> they're saying it brazenly on the uh, in the schoolyard. They don't even think twice about using it. And these are thirteen-year-olds. It's it's like it's I like know. it's like t- in today's life when you see like a third. Okay, so I'm just gonna pull back the liars here. There's a family friend who has a thirteen-year-old child, and one time they were driving in the car with my mother, and the, the in the back of the car, the kid goes, "Well, this was in 2015." The kid goes, well, Hillary's a murderer. And I was like, that kid is a Slytherin. That's, and, and that's when you identify it. When, when you have 13-year-olds that are just brazenly saying MB, mud blood, mm-hmm. the slur mm-hmm. for muggle, that's, we see that in life when there's 12-year-old kids, 13-year-old kids saying Hillary's a murderer. I'm like, you know what? Draco Malfoy, that's his, like, in the second book when he's trying when they're trying to figure out who's the heir of Slytherin mm-hmm. book and film mm-hmm. Draco's for a 12 year old he's too involved in what's politically happening and that's how you know there's weird stuff being talked about at home and that's when we need like a progressive 30 year old to come in like like the cool Slytherin like the one who's just like the Malfoy by last name only who was sorted into Gryffindor and is just like actually dot 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 we need that like progressive 30 year old to be like you don't know what you're fucking talking about Draco you're too young and you think you're so yeah. fucking smart but you don't know shit you know what I'll say it Severus Snape could have made that choice he could have been that he could have been that for a lot of students and he made wow. a lot of choices that I don't personally agree with I think we can say broadly about Snape, he made a lot of choices that I don't personally agree with. A lot. But ultimately, chaotic good? Chaotic good, (laughs) but it's also like... Lawful good? I I don't know, because at the same time, it's like... He's not chaotic. Yes, he was in love with Lily. Yeah, he feels bad about, like, getting her killed. But does he feel bad about getting her husband killed? And if he feels that bad, why are you so mean to her orphan son when he's just yeah. a little boy at his school? Let's just say the method acting went beyond. Because he was walking yes. the walk of being cruel and mean, okay? It's like you actually didn't have to go this far. He goes no. out of his way. We'll say, though, in the Half-Blood Prince film, mm-hmm. when we see the demise of Severus Snape, Mm-hmm. maybe the most emotional the films get, I think. Outside of the very last frame before the epilogue where they're all holding hands on the bridge in Deathly Hallows Part 2, I yes. think that, that that's when the films, I think, got as close to, like, cinematic art and not, like, mainstream populist 
we, which we love, blockbuster movie. Yeah. Like I was like, wow, like Alan Rickman is to to use an expression that the kids say, giving, yeah, carrying down, yeah. And I think he does such a good job of like playing the the always Snape that mm-hmm. he makes me uh, fuck with that Snape more. When in the yeah. books, I don't, I didn't love the always Snape. No, he brings so much like love to the performance. Yeah. And when he asks Harry to look at him when he's dying, oh you really feel it. His performance like really takes it the step further it needs to go. He's so good. Also, there's choices in the performance that I don't think are inherent in the writing of Snape in the book, but enhance the character, such as the barely opening his mouth of it all. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that's just, that's that's a, like, Snape is already a very vividly drawn creation, and you can see someone kind of coming in and playing it bigger and meaner, but it's sort of Miranda Priestly vibes, where yes. he's, he's just chose to do it actually almost not even giving an ounce of energy and yet it's it's eerie and it it's it's you're afraid of it he's the only person who can deliver the line turn to page 394 and 94. stop the show yep <laughs> just just every i'm turning to page 394 i'm yeah. i'll be there <laughs> also just like you're really right it's a laugh line mm-hmm. and it's and it could never have intended to be and just the moment he whips his cape into the classroom, mm-hmm. the first potions lesson. Oh, yeah. You're done. You're done. You're done. So wait, and something, another thing is you just said potions. He he famously teaches potions. He famously does until he until, teaches Defense Against the Dark Arts. And which, you know, he was so horny <laughs> for the whole time. Oh, he couldn't, he couldn't wait. And then, but the curse remains. He'd only taught for one year. Exactly. And that that actually is one of my favorite things. So two questions. One, even and take the fact that you're a Gryffindor out of it, because I okay. know that Gryffindors, they naturally they excel in transfiguration because you're because <laughs> old girl is teaching the class. OK, yeah. McGonagall is sort of the head of the house of Gryffindor. If mm-hmm. you don't know now, you know, Gryffindors, they're taken care of in that class. OK, yeah. Not that she ever showed favoritism. In fact, I think she was rather strict on the Gryffindors. She's like that mom that's like, I'm harder on my kids. She was, but like, she has a soft spot for Quidditch. Like, 100%. when she sees Harry catch that remember all, yeah. she's not thinking about punishment. She's thinking no. about Gryffindor Quidditch victory. And she's also that one that's like, well, like, I had a couple, I think I had one gym teacher was like, you don't have to run the mile today because I know you have a meet later. You know what I mean? She's like, my, my, my guys, I, they, I need to keep them ready for Quidditch. Like, she actually mm-hmm. was, she was, a, she was a fan. She was like. She a, also steps in when Harry and Ron fly the Ford Angelina because mm-hmm. Snape gives this whole, he, Snape gives a speech. He's like, if you were in my house, you'd be out. And then she's like, well, they're not. Yeah. And they actually just have detention. <laughs> yeah, she actually will, she will, she will throw down and, and show favoritism. And let's just be real nepotism because that's pretty much Harry Potter's whole gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, a lot. Like, there's, a, there's an inherent trauma there, but really, we're dealing with a lot of nepotism here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of um, sort of catering to the famous, let's just say. Mm-hmm. I mean, we and thank God that they did, ultimately, because he did need to be prepared for the hell that was about to befall him, but just saying. Mm-hmm. Let's call yeah. a spade a spade. To return to my question, what is the class you would have excelled... Ex- well, I'm just going to say excelled is a new word. Ex- what would you have excelled in the most? Ooh, that's so interesting. You know, I feel maybe charms. 
I love that for you. I love the um the flick of the wrist of it all. I think the swish and flick would have worked for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's some style in it. Exactly. And I think that I would have been like Hermione in that I don't think that I would excel at divination. I think that my mind is in the mundane. I don't think that my like my psychic abilities are open. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I'll be around people who I believe my psych- whose psychic abilities are open, such as my husband, such as my sister, and they have different experiences than me. So I think that I would also be out of divination. You bring up divination, and I think that divination should be allowed as a course for people that graduated long ago, but sort of magic isn't really happening for them. So they go <laughs> back and take divination because they're like, actually, I'm pivoting. Like, um, being an, I didn't, didn't make it as an R, but mm-hmm. I think I'm spiritual now. And they go they back and take divination. Ed. Exactly. Continuing <laughs> education. <laughs> There's like one old man in the class. <laughs> Who's like, I don't know. I'm into it now. I didn't get it then, but I've opened my mind. The thing is, like, you I don't know if you can be spiritually in touch with yourself enough to excel in divination at 13, 14. Well, what did they take it? They took that like like fourth or fifth year, right? Third year is where it begins. Third year, yes. Third year is where it begins. And you know, it's interesting because it does, it feels like it should be something that at a certain level you're selected out. Like, she's mm-hmm. like, okay, you're not psychic, so you don't get to stay in divination. But I remember Lavender Brown and Parvati were, I don't know if they were psychic, but they were into it. They were those girls. That's what yeah. it was. And <laughs> yes. so they were just like those girls. They were like, oh yeah, and I bet they were flops in the other classes. Yeah, I mean, you don't, I don't remember hearing tales of them doing well. But how do you do well with Hermione sitting there? That's the thing. It's like, it's like, and not to have the women compete against each other, but like any student in class is going to look second rate next to Hermione. I was talking to someone the other day and I, I think I was talking to Greta about it because we, we also watch Harry Potter. And I said, the thing is about Hermione, she's so good at magic. <laughs> Like, it's crazy. When she's 11 years old, she's like, you didn't read every word of this book? I did. And not only did I read it, I internalized it and can employ it. Yeah. I mean, she Oculus Reparos. Come on. Come on. From home. She was learning to study at home. Muggle-born, this girl. Yeah. Yeah. She got in in the bushes and she said, it's Devil's Snare. You have to remember, (laughs) they'd be dead. She remembers it all. She remembers the poem. She's like, devil snare. Yeah. Doesn't like the air. Yeah, 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 whatever it is. But like, you go with it. I had a second question about, I said, what, which one do you think you'd be good in? And then, oh, who was your favorite defense against the dark arts teacher? Because it did rotate out. Lupin. Gotta be Remus. He really was a special type of guy, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. He was, and you could tell... There are a couple characters when you read, even before she kind of tells you what they look like, you can tell mm-hmm. he's hot. You yeah. know? I'm actually going to throw Gilderoy Lockhart a bone because I get him. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I have more, I understand more of where Gilderoy is coming from now. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> you got to answer the fan mail. A hundred percent. And also Kenneth Branagh playing him. Like, there's like such a match there. It's like you kind of get it. There's that sort of like, earned narcissism that's like yeah you are an impressive guy like yeah. go off oh that is such a fun character too and i feel like he's a so fun he's a remnant like the first two books in particular are like very goofy silly and i mm-hmm. feel like he's our most fun like goofy silly right defense against the dark arts future quirrell's goofy silly but he like in that he's scared of everything but he has Voldemort on the back of his head, so that's 
scary too. Really, really appreciate the Quirrell turn. You know what I mean? I, I will say as an 11-year-old reading the book, did not see that one coming. I was surprised. It'd be interesting to read it now to see how much it's telegraphed. Yeah, like, I mean, I'll say that we were watching the first movie over the weekend and my husband turns to me and he says, why is that guy always wearing that hat? And I said, yeah, well, watch, watch and learn. Yeah. That's the question, 100%. isn't it? Why is he always wearing that hat? <laughs> that hat. An interesting, an interesting descriptor. That hat. Why is he wearing that hat? <laughs> that is so funny that he said that. All right. So wait, those are my two questions. Now I really, I want to return to something I brought up in the beginning okay. of the episode. Because when I spoke to you last, for a long period of time about Harry Potter, <laughs> you had not yet been to the Wizarding World. I had not. Have you been to the Wizarding World since? I have, but I've been to the Los Angeles Wizarding World. So famously way worse. Yeah, I know that Orlando is a whole other thing, and I had plans to go there, and then there was a global pandemic, and I have not right. been able to go. <laughs> You'd actually be shocked how many people that didn't stop from going. Now that the pandemic is sort of... Um, Let's just say it's in its uh, flop era. Yeah. Um, the pandemic is sort of starting to flop and we and we mm -hmm. love it. Mm -hmm. I did go down there. My mom, my dad, my sister and me like old times. Beautiful. And my sister and I went to the Orlando Wizarding World. And I would say any fan of the films and books should really make a point of going down there because... They give it to you. They definitely give it to you. And they have a new roller coaster there, which is called Hagrid's Care of Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. You can either ride in the motorbike seat or in the sidecar. Serious black depending motorbike. Depending on how you identify. You know, if, if you like to be carried or you like to sidecar be carrier. Sidecar or, you know. Just saying, there's different preferences all around. Are you a sidecar type of girl, or do you are you rev rev rowing the motorbike? Um, but you get caught in Devil's Snare, so and you have you do fall through it, and like it's really a moment in time. Like and you remember just how scary it must have been for them to be on the Devil's Snare when when you're actually in it as children, as little children. They're eleven. They're eleven years old, and they're fighting. You know. Adult, mm -hmm. adult menaces. <laughs> yeah, but I had to. I had to tell you that they added all this new shit. Because, and there's also the diagonality of it all, and like you, you, there's a roller coaster through Gringotts Bank, which I know you'd love. So yeah, because the LA one is like it's a mixture of Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade together, which is a mess because they're in completely mm -hmm. different places. It's a complete mess. It's, yeah, it's a which is a mess. <laughs> 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 but I did love the castle. They got the castle. Yeah. The Hogwarts castle is really good. They got it right. Can we talk about the Dementors? The Dementors are, they're, they're, they're absolutely terrifying. They're one of the scariest things anyone's thought. Uh, it's really alarming. And I agree 100% with Dumbledore that they should not have been brought to the school. What? They should have stayed very far away. And, and he even gives a speech where he's like, <sighs> the Dementors don't know how to distinguish between children and the criminal that they're hunting. And it's like, okay, that's, an, an, I mean, we know that Hogwarts was way too dangerous, but it's like, that's a big problem. And I agree with Dumbledore that wizards and Dementors should not have linked up at all. The whole thing from the beginning is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> you have a whole segment of the school designated for 
evil kids and the descendants of evil kids. You've got the knowledge that we have to prepare against dark arts. That actually never really sank into me until later. I was like, well, they have a class about doomsday coming. (laughs) So they have that. Then you bring in the Dementors. It's like, what, what? are they thinking? Let's like let's put all the elements of disaster yeah. together and not expect disaster. It's wild someone didn't die till the fourth year. So let's just chat about that for a second. Okay. Because we can agree that the death of, spoiler alert, Cedric Diggory <laughs> was a turning point not only in the books and the films, but also in, in my life. Yes. Can you describe how you felt? So the fourth book is my favorite. Goblet of Fire mm-hmm. is my my favorite book in general. I love that it like blows up the world. You like, from the minute you're in, like we go to the Quidditch World Cup and it's like, oh, here are all these other wizards. Actually, there are Mm -hmm. other schools. Like I just love love all that. But I also, I feel like that book is the bridge between the first three, which are like, a little sillier, a little funner. Azkaban has mm-hmm. is darker, but like, it hints at darkness. It's starting to tell you, hey, just so you know, we're all gonna grow up someday, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be really tragic. Yeah, and like things are not always what they seem. Right. At all of that, so I feel like the fourth book is the bridge between the two, and then at the end, <sighs> Cedric dies, and that's where it's like, okay, death is happening. Voldemort's back. We're adults. Harry has a crush on Cho Chang. Like, adult things are happening. Absolutely. And it's sort of also where the Ron and Hermione, that that starts to really start simmering. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Yule Ball is where it's really like, oh, Ron has a crush on Hermione. Right. And also, it's like, the Yule Ball sort of says, these kids, they're horny kids. You know what I mean? And it's sort of like when you're reading it, and I think we were, because you mm-hmm. just mentioned graduating. Oh, wait, so we are the exact same age. Yeah. So I remember we kind of sort of grew up with these books, not with the films really, but it really took me by surprise, I think because I was the exact age, yes. maybe the same for you. But I was like, oh, wait. Like, I'm realizing in the same moment that that I'm feeling these feelings, like, reading a, reading this. 100%. And I remember, so I remember getting the fourth book and, like, looking at all the chapter names, as you do, to, like, mentally yeah, prepare myself it. for what's coming. And seeing that there was a chapter called The Yule Ball and realizing that that meant they were going to go to a dance and being like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, they're going to start Dating each other. Because dating each other. I had already started dabbling in the world of fan fiction at this oh, time. Oh, this is this is one of my favorite things. <laughs> so I was thinking a lot about the characters dating me. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what it would be like if maybe I went to Hogwarts and they were my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So it was very titillating to me to see that they were going to be dating. And so that was a really big moment in my Harry Potter development. The Yule Ball, like, bowled me over. And then I remember mm. reading about Cedric's death and being really... Because it happens so fast. And it's a murder. It's a murder. He is murdered. That's another thing. By Peter Pettigrew. He's murdered by Peter Pettigrew. Kill at the spare. At the, kill the spare. Iconic. <laughs> at the direction of Voldemort. So we have, you know, a murder of the highest order from the most evil person in the world commanding one of the mm-hmm. one of the servants that he had to kill him. That's also the first time we get a chapter that's out of Harry's point of view. The first chapter of that mm. book where we're talking about Voldemort killing that old man who's the caretaker of his dad's old house. It is technically a dream of Harry's, but it's I remember right. reading it and being like, what's 
going on? I guess yeah. also the first chapter of the first book is like about the Dursleys. Right. And they also like it, when when they when those were adapted into the movies, like I remember those opening scenes of the like the last, I guess, what, five Harry Potter mm-hmm. movies were all scary as shit. Like, again, like when you're reading the book, you're like, ooh, page turning. And then when you're seeing it, you're like, not for nothing, but there's some there's some horror in this book, in this in this movie, in this film. There's sometimes that the book the movies like change things that I don't like as much. Sometimes they do. I was sad to miss the scene where Cornelius Fudge appears to the British Prime Minister to be like, there are wizards and they're like bad and they're loose. Yes. But I liked that they replaced it with that like speech from Scrimagor, like mm-hmm. right up front of him being like, your ministry remains strong. Yeah. I thought that that was a good replacement, even though I kind of wanted to see him explaining to the British Prime Minister that there was. You always want to see more. As someone who read the books and then watches the films, I actually think, you know what's funny? I remember when these films started to come out, I, I said to myself, I wonder how much the visual creation, like that, like the production design, the art direction, I wonder how much of it will match what I've been thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that surprisingly enough, like it was pretty clear on the page what was going to happen. But now it's kind of interesting because I can't really remember a time where it was just me and the books. Like the visual identity of Harry Potter is now so strong and embedded deeply in pop culture that when you go back and even read the first book now, I think there are those like, very faint visual mem- like memories in the back of my head of what I think I drew in for myself. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting to see the films created and, and like they are so iconic and they look so iconic. And I know before that I had done that for myself. And now it's like a little bit of a blurred line, you know? Yeah. I always think that too, is I try to go back and be like, what do I remember like thinking was going to happen? Or like, what did right. I, what did I Thing. I remember before the seventh book came out, talking on the forums and being like, Harry is a horcrux. So that was like... So you thought... Yeah, I thought, I think that Harry... I think Harry might be a horcrux. <laughs> yeah, he might be a horcrux, girl. Mm, and then what happened? And I was like, well, I don't know how you become unhorcruxed, but you have to die and come back to life, basically. Yeah, <laughs> the, which, which essentially, I mean, that whole, really, like, you have to give it up for... I mean, it just, it really does hit everything at the end. There was a point yeah. in like um reading the books. I, I think for me, if I'm going to be real, my favorite book is The Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite movie just because it's so expansive and I think I had such high hopes for the Triwizard Tournament. I don't dislike the movie. It's just not everything that that book was. Mm-hmm. But And then for me, five, six, and sometimes seven sort of blend together for me tonally in terms of the books. But I do think that those are my favorite movies. Prisoner of Azkaban as a standalone, mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. I mean, Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. Like, you don't get better. And then five, six, seven, and I guess eight, which is the second half of seven. Those are Those movies are when, like, I think this film series is at its best. Yes, I agree. I think one and two are the most faithful representations of the book. It's the book turned into a movie and there's, it's really Mm -hmm. fun to watch that. I think that like, that's great. But those are just like super faithful representations. Three Mm -hmm. like lives in its own world because of Alfonso Cuaron and like, it looks really different. The performances are different. Like it's, yeah. it's it's exploring something. It almost feels like more of like a specific exploration 
like in each character. It's really it's interesting. It's like yeah, its own thing. I go back and forth about like things that were added and things that were taken out. There's a really cute scene with all the boys in the boys' dormitory where they're like eating chocolates and like turning into mm-hmm. different animals. And I thought that was a fun little ad to show them as like teenagers, like I think there was a lot of like ads like that, which I liked to like build out the world of Hogwarts. Like and, character like, stuff. Yeah. Yes. The shrunken heads on the night bus I'm a, is a no for me. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna. I I think we could have. The whole night bus thing. uh, That's a. That's a. That's a plot. Plot line where I'm like, I I need us to get to school. Yeah. See those that. Whenever we were in the beginning of the books and movies Mm -hmm. where they're not at school, I kind of was like, let's get. You know what? I I need us to get to school. I'm gonna need to see my girls all together. Not a Stan Shunpike fan. Not really. Not really into Stan Shunpike. (laughs) Any stop at like the three broomsticks? I'm like, guys, move it along. We gotta. We gotta get there. The only time they're not at school and it's really fun is when they go to the World Cup. The Quidditch World Cup is great. Fantastic. And see, this is why I love Goblet of Fire is because it gave you something in the beginning that felt different that wasn't just like, oh, there's another detour on the way to school. It's like, no, we want to get to school. This was an event. It was the Olympics in the world of Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of a genius map. I was like, you love to see it. And then we get the, the dark mark. And we're in a new emotional terrain. Oh, when things go south and you learn about the dark mark. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, the best part about four is it just blows the world open so huge from the minute that it begins. It's like the most fun. You know, that also is Gary Oldman. And that was actually my, my my first exposure to Gary Oldman. And that's also a great performance. Mm -hmm. It's not as specific as Snape. Like he didn't, he didn't pick something about, Serious Black and was like, let me explore this or blow it out. Like Severus Snape was, you know, like like Alan Rickman said, I'm mm-hmm. going to really do the quiet thing. I think that he, in three, he is really crazy at, when they first, like, see him. And you can tell, like, the way he, there's one line where he's like, I did my time in Azkaban. And like, and it just, like, you hear it. It's like, yeah. he's been, this man has been in Azkaban. He's clearly experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. In a major way, the only thing that kept this man sane was turning into a dog so that the Dementors couldn't feed on his primitive dog form. That's how you know it's dark. And it comes across. It comes across. I feel like he loses. He's not as specific as Sirius later. Like, I feel like Sirius should stay a little fucked up from that. Like, he's not okay. And you get that in the books. Like, he's not okay. He's always trying to make Harry, like, be like James again. He's angry. He's a loose cannon. He has issues from being (laughs) in a horrible wizard prison. The crazy thing about Sirius Black is, like, for such an important character, he's not actually in it that much. Because you meet him in three, he's gone in five. The death that blew me away. And he's barely in four because he's on, he's with Buckbeak flying around. I would say basically not in four. He appears in the fire. Mm-hmm. He appears in Which, the fire. So did everyone else. No, wait, that's five. He's, but yeah. does he do it in four? Whatever. Anyway, he appears in the fire in five and that's where he almost gets caught. Well, the four was dealing with so many other things. I mean, floor four we had to kind of get into the floor delicate. Four is floor, I mean, like which is always the character. Four is floor. It's actually rule of culture. Um, that actually that that was the one thing about four. I was like, I need more of floor delicate. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, she to me was an icon, star and actress, star and actress. <laughs> <laughs> this is becoming lost cult. Um, I need to get her on the pod, Flair Delacour. Oh, I um, would love that. What a get! What a get! 
Um, because I really, I mean, like, I need her perspective. But I just remember, um, I I was always wanting more female characters because we love Hermione and like McGonagall. We we sort of understood what she was about and she had a function. But then I think. What I loved, and I think is another great performance in the film series, is Miss Imelda Staunton as your girl, Dolores Umbridge, who... Perfect. Really, really, really good. Yes. You know what's a little fun film tidbit for the film podcast? So I went to the soundstage tour in London, which... Mm. I've never been. The most incredible... I mean, I was beside myself the moment it began to the moment that it ended. But one of the things that I learned, because they have all of Umbridge's Mm -hmm. outfits, is that as she gets more powerful in the film, she wears deeper shades of pink until she's like in that hot pink suit at the height of her Right. Yes. She's in like pale pink and then it gets hotter pink until, and she gets more cats in her little office until she's at the height of her power. And then there's that last scene where she's no longer uh, Imelda Staunton. It's it's Reese Witherspoon as Elle Woods. <laughs> yeah, and she's just exactly. like, okay, guys. And she proposes to Luke yeah. <laughs> And she says to Harry Potter, but if I'm going to be a partner at a law firm by the time I'm 30, I need to date a guy who's not a complete bonehead. <laughs> um, anyways, I, I, I just thought that's actually one of my favorite performances. And I wonder, out of this insane wealth of British talent that we're Mm -hmm. seeing. Do you have a favorite performance, lead or supporting? Like, who do you see in your mind's eye when you think of Harry Potter, the film series? Who's giving you the iconic performance? And we've already said Alan. Yeah, I feel like it's like, Alan, you have to like just put away because Mm -hmm. what he did as Snape is like just sheer perfection. I love Emma Thompson is Trelawney. She's so good. She's perfect. She's just having fun with it. She, you can tell she's like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> put yeah. these clothes on me, and I'm going to be this crazy lady. And I was watching. She does such a good job. Like, every line reading is so funny. Even when she's, like, doing her, when she actually gives her prediction, it's Amazing. so perfect. It ch- her she changes. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. Yeah, the Dark Lord yeah, will she- be back once more. Like, yeah. <laughs> like her eyes roll back in her head. She's incredible, and I think everything she's ever done. I I would also say I think this is one of Helen and Bottom Carter's best. Oh my god, I wasn't even thinking. Major, mm-hmm. major character, major antagonist in in the series, but also like you forget that she wasn't even the first choice. For that part. That's insane. It was the actress that plays Narcissa, Malfoy, was the first choice to who actually just passed away. Oh, that's right. She um she was the first choice to play Bellatrix Lestrange, which is so odd because I think what happened is she had something else happen or like it was maybe something went on where she couldn't do it. And so like Helena stepped in. And to think that that was not going to be her is just so Surreal because, you know, and no shade to the other actress, but Helen is such a name. Yeah, it just feels Like, at the time, she was an Oscar-nominated actress, and it feels, like, so dead on that for her to just come in there with, I guess, maybe not even that much prep, like, because she kind of had to do it at the last minute and just body it the way that she did, she is truly scary. She, I feel like, also, she was at the height of her spookiness. She seems like such a natural choice for Bellatrix. You know when she also is great? When she's Hermione pretending to be Bellatrix, which mm-hmm. is a whole other level where she like has to yeah. 
and they like use Hermione's voice, whatever, the polyjuice potion of it all. I love uh, actors pretending to be actors inside of someone else's body. And she does, a, her body oh, language yeah. is so good. Like she's perfect, her face, it's amazing. The polyjuice potion was really a fun element. It really was. That entire scene is really, really well done in seven part one with like yeah. all the actors who they got to be like, them in polyjuice potion form they the, the faces that they're giving are so i'm a teenage boy in polyjuice potion form you know what else i love in um seven part one is just all those quiet scenes um like uh, the anxiety of harry and hermione like in the woods in that tent just sort of like waiting for ron to return if he's going to and just kind of like waiting it out like I, I remember there's that scene where they dance which I don't yes, think is in the book it's not but it was so sweet yeah it's it was really and you know again like the movies are long as absolute hell but I didn't mind because I felt like after watching all of these films and like being truly invested in what was happening even knowing what was happening because we had read the book I, it was fun to have seen them grow into the characters that much where they could sustain that. Because yes. in the very beginning of the series, like, they were obviously children, 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. And they were sort of figuring out how the fuck to act. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they didn't know. Especially, yeah. you know, Daniel grew so much. And, you know, it, it was it was really cool to see them... Like, Emma especially. Like, she was she, just giving a lot. She is so big from the beginning. Like, even, like, her first, when she walks in and she's like, you got dirt on your nose. Did you yeah. know? Like, Unafraid. you best put, you put your robes on. And it's like, mm -hmm. there are so many lines of hers from the first movie that stick in my head. Like, nearly headless. How can you be nearly headless? Like, she just gives you so much. I'm going back to bed for either of you to get us killed or, or worse, worse expelled. expelled. She needs to work on her priorities. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rupert always Honestly, had the comedy. Giving deadpan. Mm -hmm. The thing the thing is though, like, and this is gonna I understand. no, I think a lot of Harry Potter people are on the same page about this. Ron, uh, the arc was a slow burn. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. You know, Ron is dealing with a lot of angst, dealing with a lot of, I think, you know insecurity. Yeah. And I think that ultimately it was great to see him stick with Harry to the end and what a friend and they w will be for the rest of their lives and you know so much tragedy happens in his family but it was a tough sit with Ron and but you know what though you almost appreciate it in those later films because in the later books too because you don't know if he's coming back. Like why would he continue to hang with these two like Harry who's like you know a walking target and Hermione who's like drawn to it because she I don't know she's just badass yeah and, she's and it's brilliant. like Ron's like maybe I'm not badass maybe I'm actually like good like you know running a store somewhere maybe like you know Fred and George actually got it together here with their joke shop like maybe I'm gonna go be an entrepreneur well I think that's the interesting thing about our friend Ronald is that I feel like it's the first exploration of like what it means to be the sidekick and like this guy who has two really extraordinary friends surrounded by extraordinary people, but is kind of just a regular dude. And like, does he mm -hmm. step up to that? Does he step away from that? Does he use his regular dude powers to help? Like, that's why I always have a soft spot for Ron. And I think the thing that Ron learns is that a rising tide lifts all ships. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think that ultimately what's going to happen with Ron is he's going to get on a track with Nelly called Dilemma. And Ron is going to start releasing club bangers. And Mm -hmm. Ron is going to find his audience. And Ron is going to do film. Ron is going to do TV. Ron is is actually stunning and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And once Ron figures out her look... She's going to be on the cover of magazines. She's going to judge X Factor. You know, Ron is going to go far. That's the thing is that Ron is going to make his career doing appearances and, Uh (laughs) you know, showing up at kind of random festivals. Speaking Uh, engagements, colleges. You know what I mean? Who doesn't want to hear from Ron? Because there's so many Rons out there. There's been times where I really have had to struggle with the fact that I might be a Ron. You know what I mean? I am. You love Ron for hanging in there. Yes. Yes, exactly. Is Hermione the minister of magic? Yes. (laughs) Like, Is Harry still the most famous person in his world? Yes. But Ron... He's at Doug HF Festival. Yeah, he's Doug Emhoff. He's showing up at, uh, like, <laughs> different, you know, yeah. occasions, events, cons. <laughs> like, Ron is, Ron is actually available to be booked back at Hogwarts because Harry and Hermione, like, it's, they're not going back. <laughs> like, their schedule's too packed. And Ron comes back to Hogwarts, and, and just, like, because the other two aren't there, mm-hmm. he gets to be the star. Like, the kids yeah. are like, take my quill, sign my magic book or whatever. Sign my Hogwarts a history. <laughs> <laughs> he does a talk back every year at Hogwarts. He loves it. He's yeah. doing fine. What is his job ultimately? I think ultimately he takes over and starts working at the joke shop as well. Right, because they're you know they're short staffed now. At yeah, that, so that was a sad one. That was a really come sad on. One. That shocked me. You know me. what else I really didn't like mm. in the seventh book when you realize and, and you don't you don't you never like Colin Creevy, and then when he's dead, you're like, oh yeah. no, yeah. not. Colin Creevy, like, did nothing. Killed in the Battle of Hogwarts. Lavender Brown, too. Well, that was revealed in the film. Like, you see the wolf eating her. Eating her. I know, a horrific death for Lavender Brown. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like in Jurassic... Have you seen the first Jurassic World where, Mm -hmm. like, the assistant, whose name is, like, literally Zara, she's named after, like, a a chain of clothes, (laughs) she gets, like truly fucked up by the pterodactyls and then eaten by the mosasaurus and there was all these talkbacks afterwards about like characters have to earn their deaths like like it's too jarring and shocking but then i was reading like you know i think colin trevorrow who wrote and directed that was like no we wanted to say that this is not a series where people's deaths are earned mm-hmm. anyone can die and i feel like harry potter goes there at the end like mm-hmm. the way that characters are dying i'm like wow it really prepares you for the fact that just about anyone's going to bite the dust. Lupin and Tonks? Very hard. When the Great Hall is converted to a, a morgue and they're dead holding hands in the Great Hall, that, oh. I was like, damn. Nymphomaniac I was Tonks. I, I heard that her name was Nymphodora. For me, she's nymph- Nymphomaniac Tonks. Nymphomaniac Tonks. And Re- Rima Lupin. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. She named them. That is, wow, I never made that connection, but yeah. They were sex freaks. They were it was, sex It freaks. was fully, it, I mean, when she showed up in the movies and had that, like, purple hair, I was like, oh, you're a sex freak. Nymphomaniac talks. You know what's interesting in the, from the books to the movies, that I feel like it's better that the movies aged them up, but the, mm-hmm. like, the Remus, Sirius, mm-hmm. all of them, they're 21 when they die, and so they should be, like, 30 in the movie. They're supposed to be 21 years old when they die. What? 21. 
Lily Evans was 21. <laughs> Wait, oh my gosh. I guess that's true. Like, they had a baby very young. Right out of Hogwarts. But I guess in order for that to really hit in the movies, you have to make them look like parents. Right. So like that was... kids watching can be like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if they were 21 years old? Jeez. We Too were much. 21 when the seventh one came out. I would be like, okay, so I could be Lily. <laughs> I mean, that's, I guess, what really hurt about Cedric dying was it was like, I think I I remember I, I read, I was reading it out by my pool. It was like one of those things where it was like, come on, we're all going in the water. I was like, I'm reading a book. Like for last yeah. first and last time that ever happened <laughs> uh, where people were like, we're all going to do something fun. And I was like, I'm reading. Like, I wish that yes. for me now. It just will never happen again. But I remember I got to the sentence that was like, he was dead before he hit the ground, I think was the way, was the way mm-hmm. it was phrased. And I was like. Oh, my God. And I remember I put the book down and I had my first like interaction with the concept of my own mortality. And I remember I took like a slow walk around my pool and was like, I'm going to die. One day I'm going to die. And it could happen quick and it could happen violently. But that book really gave me that moment. Well, yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying about like once Cedric dies, it's like anyone can die. It's a it's uh-huh. a free for all. And Cedric is the perfect kind of way to kick that off because it's like, who would have thought that Cedric Diggory would be the one to die or that we were going to get to the end of this book and that anyone would die because no one's died yet. And that it's going to be kind of this random character that we just introduced that like you as a reader are like lukewarm about probably. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because he had he resembled such a well, I think what he symbolized was a strength because of his popularity and his looks and his charm and his mm-hmm. talent. So it was really smart of her because she actually was sort of like lionizing this person mm-hmm. and also like Harry grew to like him and respect him even though he was dating Cho. Oh. So there's so ev- there's every reason to dislike him. And yet you still like him because you do get a sense that he is a good person. And yes. so just when that kicks in, she takes him away. And so narratively, I think there's a there's a few things going on yes. because you think that this must be the introduction of a major new character in the series. Because Harry and Cedric have so much of a journey together during that whole thing. And I will say that I agree with Harry that Cedric's Cedric repaying the clue about the egg was not one for one because Harry just straight up told Cedric that there were dragons and it ha- mm-hmm. and Cedric played this game about going to the prefect's bathroom and all of that stuff and I don't think that was a one for one assistance. It was not there. a one for one. Um, I have a segment that I do on this podcast mm-hmm. called "But How Is It a Queer Narrative." Okay. So every movie or film series that I go through, I I, I ask myself a question which really it's important to me, but how is it a queer narrative? And so they're going to play a techno beat that you won't hear, but the viewers will. And I'm going to quickly say how I feel this is a queer narrative. Here we go. Transformation. Witches. Realizing you're different around the age of 11. Color coordination. That's really all I have. So I want I want to know from you what what elements of this film series make it a queer narrative. I think a lot of the clothing that the adults wear. Mm-hmm. I think that men are allowed in the Harry Potter universe to really wear an outfit. You know what? It's very Project Runway in that it's like the gowns hit exactly the right place on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And everyone is becloaked. Everyone yes. is 
sort of in a in a garment. Yeah, the Harry Potter universe is not afraid of a fancy man. No, they're lifted up. Gilderoy is a sex symbol to all. And he's got a powder blue suit on. Yeah, you wouldn't question his masculinity, and yet. And I mean... And yet. The one complaint that gets me when people, like, talk shit on Harry Potter, which is allowed, I guess. But... Yeah, it's allowed. <laughs> um, people will be like, they just solve everything with magic. And I'm like, well, yeah. Like, that's... That's actually a huge <laughs> element of the book's magic. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, James Bond spy- solves everything by being a spy. Like, he's yeah. not, like in military films, they solve everything with tactical military stuff. Like, that's what the movies are about. So yeah, there's always going to be a spell that fixes it. There's going to be a magical rule that fixes it because that is the world. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, And the people that are like, well, they could have just fixed the whole thing in the beginning by doing a spell then, right? Like, do 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 a charm where everything, everyone's good, right? And it's like, shut up. Yeah. Ultimately, it's for kids, okay? <laughs> it's for kids and the young at heart. And exactly. that's how I identify. My inner child is roaring free forever. Like, enjoy Star Wars, nerd. 100, exactly. It's like, okay, yeah, it doesn't make sense to give one child time travel technology yeah. so she can take a lot of classes. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not great. But I'm glad that they did because Buckbeak yeah. would be dead if that wasn't true. Yeah. And it was a comment on overextension, okay? It was a comment on academic pressures, all right? And it was also a comment on academic pressures on particularly young women mm-hmm. who feel that they don't that there's never enough time. I just thought that was great. And a lot of the Hermione subplots like sometimes didn't work, like mm-hmm. the free the elves thing. I was yeah. like, I don't know about this, and the movies didn't know about that either. Yeah, the movies but that said, I love. Spew, spew We're not is doing done. That. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a young. The pressures on a young Muggle-born woman in the nineties. The what she had to carry on her shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news for her is she. Became she did she did what no other woman had done before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she became the the female minister of magic and I think icon forever. Icon forever, one hundred percent. Not unlike you, Elise. And I thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much for coming to be on the show because I just don't think I could go this deep with anyone else on this. Thank topic. you. I appreciate it because this is really the only thing that I'm knowledgeable about. So, <laughs> so any opportunity to. <laughs> <laughs> to share. Um, tell everyone what you've got going on that you're excited about and where they can follow you and Ooh. hear about all the th- all things Elise. Wonderful. Um, you can follow me at Pandalise, that's P-A-N-D-A-L-I-S-E, on Instagram, where you can find all of my stuff. Uh, I've got a podcast, The Roast of Your Teenage Self. You can find yes. it on all the apps. Matt's done the podcast. We're back doing live shows again in New York, Woo! which I'm so excited for. We've got one November 14th and November 27th. Come out. Amazing. It'll be so much fun. Where are they? Uh, where are you doing the shows? Oh, right. Yes. Stand Up New York is the first one that's in Manhattan. And then we're going to Brooklyn at Union Hall. So, Oh, love it. Oh, I love to hear it. Yep. I, I, I'm coming back to, to New York the, the 9th or 12th to do a New York comedy festival show with Greta. And I'm just like, you know, it, and then I'm doing my Christmas shows in, in December. I'm and it's just like, which I'm so excited you're going to be there. <laughs> Um, but it's like, it's like, wow, live performance again. It's really, I, I, am psyching myself up for it. It's, it's like scary almost in the way that excites me because it used to feel like that, you know? So anyway, come to the shows if you're listening to this and I, I read my Harry Potter fan fiction on the show. So that's. Which you want to hear yeah. because it goes there it and really goes let's there. just say 
the feelings were deep at, then deeply as they felt, are now. Deeply felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much mm, for doing so this. Fun. And everyone out there, thank you for streaming the HBO Max Movie Club. And remember that all of the Harry Potter films, all eight of them, are available to stream now on HBO Max. And it is that time of year where they feel extra good. Um, they are, of course, Christmas canon. They are holiday canon. So curl up with the damn hot toddy or a mock hot toddy, but nothing else. And enjoy the films. And thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. It's executive produced by Ethan Fixell, produced by Camila Salazar, researched by Steve Griffin, and engineered, edited, and mixed by Matt Stillo. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed HBO Max Movie Club, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. Thanks for checking out the HBO Max Movie Club. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HBO Max Movies. You can watch all eight of the Harry Potter films on HBO Max through January 31st, 2022. 